Hello listeners, we are here today with Ben Aronovich, author of The Rivers of London Books and Cobner Holbrook-Smith, reader of The Rivers of London Books, to celebrate the launch of the eighth novel, False Value, which is coming to you in audio. We've gathered some questions from listeners, which we're going to put to them and see what their answers are. So uh, before we start, do you want to talk to us a little bit about False Value and what listeners have in store for them? Basically, uh, we see Peter Grant, and I'm assuming you know who he is right at this stage, our hero, Peter Grant, uh, taking an unusual direct. His career takes an unusual direction and he uh, ends up working for, working for a tech firm in Silicon Roundabout, which, for those of you who don't know, is Old Street Roundabout, which is the high-tech heart of London. And um, shenanigans ensue. If I say any more, you see, I give it away. But just, just say that he doesn't get away from the magic just because he's working in tech. <laughs> and, Comner, have you had a chance to record much of this book yet? Yeah, we're very nearly finished with the book, actually, as it happens. Fantastic. Yeah. How have you found this one in comparison to the previous ones? Um, it's there, there is there is some evolution of form happening. So there were some things at the beginning of the book that were a surprise for me, um, but that's the, that's like technical stuff. So it's actually quite thrilling to um, play through. You know, it's like oh, lots of that happened when <laughs> I first read it. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go straight away to some questions from fans. So we have Lisa Jones, who has Hi, congratulated Lisa. you on your Olivia Award. Thank yes. you. And <laughs> said uh, she loves to play Spot Cobner on the telly. Do you have any exciting upcoming roles that you can tell us about that we should be looking out for? I don't think I do, actually, as it happens. Yeah. Are they all under wraps, or does everyone know about them already? Uh, I think everyone knows already, yeah. Okay. I think every, everything that needs knowing about is known. Yeah, everything, yeah. Your can... upcoming appearances will continue to be a surprise. Yeah, now. yeah, and I think it's more fun when they're all curveballs as well. <laughs> sort of rock up. My most fun. I I, I was in a, a Marvel film a few years back, and I just got this flurry of texts from my cousins in Ghana. They're like, "You didn't tell us you were in a film," <laughs> because it was even more abstract for them. They, they, there was no good reason why their relatives should be on the screen. <laughs> like, this is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. So Lisa also had a question for Ben, which is, if you were casting the Rivers books, which role would you like Cobner to play? I'm, I think I'm going to actually just write a role, a brand new role just for Cobner, I think, <laughs> because he's so talented that I think, you know, like uh, you get this character who plays lots of different voices and, mm. and, and, and assumes many different roles. I think I'm going to create a role for Cobner where he can just... Can, take advantage of this full that voice and the full range of his his he's got a range and he's got good comic timing so <laughs> i suspect i will drop him in as comic relief <laughs> <laughs> something that keeps him on his toes yeah i think i i think some kind of very protein fay who 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 pops up and I'm just going to use it just to keep everyone fresh because then the people who've read the books won't know what's going to happen. So a nice little Easter egg for the audiobook listeners. Yes, I mean you know that that Cobner will have a part. I think it pretty much has to be said it will be true. <laughs> you know, fantastic. So we've got another question from Mary Waraker. Hello, Mary. Mary has asked, how do you keep the characters' roles separate? How do you remember what a character sounded like in the previous books? Sometimes it's just ringingly clear um, what Ben sets out. It's just there just isn't any other way the characters could be. Even sometimes when they're a bit obscure, 
but then sometimes we've also got um, some of the producers I work with have clips. They have mm. sound clips of what we did before, especially mm. if it's from another book or something. Yeah. We can go, oh, yeah, you know, she was Russian. Or <laughs> um, uh, but generally speaking, it's, it's just sort of in the text. But I do sort of run aground sometimes and go, oh, I can't, I just cannot remember how so-and-so sounded. You know? mm. <laughs> Part of the problem is, is because it's uh, these are, police procedurals like the thing about police procedurals they have dozens of characters mm. because you have like dozens of people who are like techs and, and just people who come and deliver one line and they're never yeah. seen again and so therefore it, it, yeah it's hard for me to come up with new names that are like new, yeah. come to come up with new voices for all these it's people. like 30 to 50 characters per book right yeah. and then we're eight books in mm. so mathematically you can see if you run through all your so voices imposing. yeah already yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some of them come back unexpectedly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm not planning to bring them back they just never go away they mm. just come back for the next book and i'm going what are you doing in the book and i think and Cobbler has to go oh i only knocked off a quick accent for this one can i ask a quick demi question go on. which characters is there any character that's tickling you now like knocking to say wait bring me back bring me back yes yes, yes everest and victor uh, I'll, 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 yeah they're, they're sitting there who I fans know. are going to meet in false value yes who, who, the, who you will meet and and they were literally literally quick i need a couple of viewpoint characters ah, and, and now they're sitting there going we want another bound to need us we've got talents <laughs> so in 10 years time when they have their own spin-off series yeah. Yeah. when when like Abigail and, um, and Toby and everyone they will have their own spin-off series will be <laughs> Toby <laughs> the Toby the dog adventure yes the Toby the dog adventure so, uh, the, the biggest request I get is can we have a, a Toby spin-off I'm going how can I write a, like a dog spin-off and it'll be like Warship Down Toby <laughs> <laughs> that sounds horrifying. <laughs> so have you ever had to listen back to whole books? Not whole books. Okay. Um, luckily, they've just got the clips. Okay. But I, I've had to listen back to parts of books when I've wondered, like, what, what, where we ended up, how we ended up in, you know, the bar with the oak tree in it, or the Irregulars were all having an argument about something. So I had to, just had to remind myself, you know. But Ben, you listen back to your own books. I do. I, I listen back to him. Well, I listen back to Cobbler's interpretation, which is, which is why sometimes they're starting to converge a little bit. One of the things I really like, I've just got to say this, in, in Moon Over Soho, there's a scene around a table with the Irregulars, because I'm thinking that like, yeah. the Irregulars are sitting around a table before they're the Irregulars. And I thought it was quite funny when I wrote it, but when Cobbler did it, it was hilarious. And so it just goes to show you what an extra level of kind of sell like a, a good performer can add on to something because they, they really because he put all the accents on them and then they were just really funny and I just thought wow these guys are much funnier than I thought it's so funny <laughs> to hear because I just think I'm doing what you've written no no you, it's you, there, a... there's like, like there's things like Nightingale there's just that extra level of kind of like, like the, I mean I know what he sounds like but nobody else knows what he sounds like and when I hear you saying him it's like oh now everyone can hear that kind of Nightingale <laughs> voice for, for real without having to just kind of like I don't know if they're imagining it properly mm. but i also listen to the books to catch up because it's you, you get very sick of the sight of your own work after a while and the great thing about the audiobooks is you can do it like on the bus mm. and you can sit. so i sometimes yeah uh, i especially listen to the latest ones to make sure i can remember how many victors i've got per book <laughs> <laughs> slightly less sacks than you yes. <laughs> not overwhelmed with bobs them. bobs haircuts with bobs i was doing the copy editing for this one it was like do you realize eight characters have bobs <laughs> <laughs> Not have any more bobs. <laughs> Your editor sending you over a magazine, going, "These are women's haircuts." No, I looked it up. I, no, but it was all it was guys as well. 
about it. It's guys in bobs, girls in bobs. So, uh, so I went onto the internet wow. and like, types of haircut <laughs> and just randomly selected haircuts. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the next question is a slightly more in-depth one for Ben, which is, will there be any further ramifications for magical effects from the Sky Garden event? Well, there's always the global Sky Garden effect. Hmm. I don't know. I never know these things until they happen. (laughs) So in some ways, I'm in the dark as much as anyone else. Um, At the moment, I don't have any plans for anything explicit, although it's always in the back of my mind that that event happened. It's entirely possible that a story will turn up and I'll go, aha, that was caused by the Sky Garden event. And then you'll all go, wow, Mm. he really set that one up really well. (laughs) But it's only because I have what I call the, you know, Chekhov's gun. Mm -hmm. And and the corollary of this is is Chekhov's arsenal, which is like, and basically the idea that you have lots of Chekhov's guns in an arsenal ready to go. I I like to point out that mine is much more Chekhov's garden shed, (laughs) where I just have like a garden (laughs) shed and it all gets stuffed in there. And then every so often, I rummage around in the garden shed and pull out something I didn't even know I had that and then into the book it goes (laughs) (laughs) so you're saying that obscure references from book one may come back and turn out to be the answer to it all obscure references from book one have already come back (laughs) (laughs) fantastic Okay, our next question is from Mark Bowman, who says, Hi, Mark. How many times have you given a character an obscure regional action just to try and catch Cogner out? Uh, about once per book. Well, I, no, I lie. First two books, right? I didn't realize how good at accents Cogner was because I hadn't, didn't know him as well. Uh, so I'd say from about, from about Broken Homes onwards, which is book four, right. I've, I've put an obscure accent in every book. Have you had to look up kind of, you know, YouTube videos of people speaking yeah. in certain accents oh, yeah, 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 to yeah, try yeah, and get yeah. Ben's there, weird? There's a character in this that has a light Shropshire accent. I was like, light Shropshire? Shropshire? And I had to just like go straight onto YouTube and like, you know, mine that. Um, and in the last book, didn't you, you opened the sort of quotation passage you used was in ancient Greek. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, but you did it really well in, in the Homer sequence. So, you know, it's not like you hadn't done it before. Just looking up your ancient Greek pronunciation, yeah, yeah, which I'm yeah, sure yeah. everyone agrees upon. Well, no, but the yeah, great thing exactly, about that yeah, is, yeah. is that, that especially, well, especially when you did it in Fox Club Summer, is that, like, it was, like, public schoolboy ancient Greek. So right, yeah, you can just, like... Mispronunciation would have been totally in character. In fact, it's necessary, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if there are any mistakes in the book, do you say, oh, well, that wasn't me it was peter peter didn't know what he was talking yep. about <laughs> i totally blame peter or the copy editor depending on whichever comes to mind first yeah. <laughs> we'll go for our next question which is another slightly obscure one for ben it's from steve berliner hi steve i don't know if that's a german fan uh this is will we see di chopra in the main novels i don't know do you want to explain who di chopra is for anyone oh, who sorry, hasn't encountered no, di chopra is the guy who who does Peter's test when he's for, for Detective Stories. Detective Wait. Stories, your graphic novel. Yeah, Detective yeah, Stories. I haven't made D.I. Chopra. No, because he's not, you haven't had to do his voice yet. I think it'd be relatively easy because he's from Wembley, so he's not going to have Touch. <laughs> <laughs> he's not have any Absolute with touch. <laughs> oh, phew. So might he Monday make it back into the novel? Yeah, I, like I said, he's got into the garden shed with all the others, you know, and, and some of the times they knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> 
loudly <laughs> demanding a part and and also if you sometimes you think well why am i inventing a new character for something when i actually have a character ready to go mm. so that that's how abigail came back it's like abigail came back because i needed a character to do a certain function and and she she was going oh hello oh, pick me pick me and, and, so, and there's a little whisper of some foxes as well isn't there sometimes yes, that, the foxes, that's the, really amused me the foxes i can't get rid of the bloody foxes you fully opened a can of fox worms well the, the thing about the foxes is like foxes in real life right once you let them into the area you can't get rid of them <laughs> so will the foxes be coming back is there any foxes in false value god yeah i guess there are god i've forgotten about that yes there's a little cameo there's a little fox yeah, cameo yeah. in false value there's a lot of foxes in in what abigail did that summer which is the abigail novella which is being there, written at the moment there is there is definitely a fox in in the book after the next peter grant book because i've already written the opening oh wow <laughs> where it provides the punchline. so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that, you know, I can, all the characters are, are even now, like, you know, when they do the, 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 do you know how like the budget gets done? Like all the mm. departments in the, in the government put in there, like the highest possible bid for, mm. the, for the maximum mm. things they want. That That's basically what happens with my characters before I write a book. They're all put in a bid for like the maximum amount of exposure. And, and, you know, the foxes are in there with everyone else demanding. <laughs> and Toby, demanding I evolution and KFC. <laughs> how did you uh, decide to do the voices for the foxes when you first encountered talking foxes I think he wrote about them they, 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 you, you said something about them having like a East End burr or gangster something like that yeah it's okay. something you, yeah. Again, I just do what I'm told. I just do what's written, what's set down. I, it's actually, there. I suddenly realised what I was doing. I was doing Michael Caine. Right, they're yeah. all basically Harry Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are one or two that are a bit Sid James. Yeah, well, well Sid James is fine. You know, in that, in that, yeah, in that, or core blimey, you know, yeah. Late modern, late modern Cockney. Late modern Cockney. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a question here, which is: uh, Will we see any interactions with the Folly or Peter and the royal family? Do the royal family know about magic? Oh, you know, one. I hadn't actually until you asked that question even ever thought about that. Hmm. Well, they never did get that royal charter, which they're very cross about. <laughs> yeah, but they left the space on the cartouche. For... Yes, they left the space on the cartouche. Right? They never got. They never got that royal charter. They wanted to be like the royal society and they never got a so they're a bit miffed about that you have a uh, flashback to kind of Beverly's original form in False Value don't you I'm not going to say anything there's a am I giving away spoilers are you doing it in order yeah but I've read it it's not not news Uh, you haven't read that bit yet because it happens right at the end (laughs) Cobner reading it with live surprise in the studio (laughs) I don't know I just write them I don't produce them no you can't because because if you do you'll invariably get to the end of a book and it'll say in his thick Welsh burr and that's (laughs) (laughs) realise you've had the red (laughs) (laughs) Ben's never retroactively in a later book kind of changed something about a character well, you uh, said it's too late now. No, I don't think so. Although, what, what what's the nearest we've got? Oh, it's um Oberon. Oberon. Yes, and you gave him my accent, and and you said, "What's he like?" And I said, "He's like he's like Idris Elba. Basically, he's Idris Elba." And you went, "Oh shit, I gave him the wrong accent." Aha, <laughs> that was it. But that it's okay because it. you know it was, it was just because I imagined him looking like Idris Elba. He didn't have to sound like Idris. Elba. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is one of the maladies. <laughs> you know, but I hadn't thought it through because sometimes I haven't thought a character all the way through. Yeah. 
And so therefore I just leave it for Cobner to come up with an accent for him because or them because it's like sometimes I haven't thought of a character all the way through. Mm. You know, like I said, thirty characters in a book, you don't give every character the same level of kind of detailed scrutiny yeah. as as some characters. So some and some characters are very vivid. They just jump straight into your brain and you know everything about them. And some characters, you know, hide behind bushes. And yeah, and sometimes like, oh, it's not it's oh, not a person oh. or character's voice that's salient about them. No. Someone turns up in a bright red hat and yeah. you know clown shoes you're not thinking necessarily about how they sound and, and also like, like, like a really large number of them just have that kind of nondescript north london accent like, <laughs> <I> do, <so laughs> like... <laughs> if all else fails they sound like me yeah 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 if all else fails you know north it's london very much my philosophy yeah. <laughs> or you just write in the margin do something interesting i i have been tempted to write that i've resisted that temptation but i might just start doing that now put a little footnote mm. <laughs> do something interesting <laughs> Okay, let's pick another question. Ella Fant, which I think might be a pseudonym. Possibly. Hi, Ella. Says to Ben, how much do you do in a first draft and how much do you rewrite? Yeah, I keep hearing this thing called rewriting <laughs> that other writers do. <laughs> I, I generally don't rewrite. I mean, not rewrite in the sense that I take a large section of something and, and change it. I, I generally I do a lot of fiddly bits, a lot of bits of grammar, a little catches up, occasional adding. Closest I ever did to a rewrite was I added in the first book, uh, someone pointed out that there wasn't an action sequence, and so I added the whole sequence where Nightingale races down to the river in the jag and, and Beverly first meets sees Peter for the first time and all that mm. whole sequence. That was that's the only time I've really added a whole sequence into something. Uh, after that, I, because the way I write is I'm a very slow writer and I'm very quite I'm quite kind of like meticulous. So I, and I plan, so I don't necessarily have to do rewrites. Or at least so far, no one's asked me for any. You know, I mean, Imad Imad probably might want me to do rewrites. Imad, your editor? Yes, my editor probably would like me to do. I don't know. I, I, people keep saying like the book is found in the rewrite. No, it bloody isn't. The wow. book is found when you get to the end. You've done the book. <laughs> the process of extrusion. I, I think every writer is different. I mean, some writers write a lot and then they trim, and some writers are like me. They write very little and they don't trim. And if you write very little, you can't trim because you haven't written enough. Mm. Karen Day has asked Hi, Karen. Cobner, who would you cast in a Rivers of London TV series, specifically for Seawall and Nightingale, if you have any acting buddies? Oh, who can I who can I give throw some work at? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Seawall, who would we get for a seawall? Maybe we get like a Glenister. Is that a right sort well, yeah, of age? Well, he's almost too obvious. Though. Yeah, I too yeah. Obvious. I just see him as a trench coat. Well, I always, I thought, I, I, a left field suggestion that I had in my head was if you make him Irish, you could cast Dara O'Brien and he just goes, <laughs> feck, 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 feck. <laughs> and then you can get away with way more swearing. <laughs> For Nightingale, I think I'd probably cast Lloyd Owen. Mm. He'd be pretty cool. Who's Lloyd Owen? Have a look up Lloyd Owen. Lloyd Owen is mm. like you know, late 40s, early 50s looking, but he's one of those people who doesn't look younger than they are, but seems younger than they are. Do you see what I mean? Yes. And he's really good looking and like he's muted. He could easily have been a Bond candidate. Do you know what I mean? But someone you look at and think you're a 100-year-old wizard secretly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, go through a few more questions. Ben, have you ever considered requiring Peter to sing to force Cobner to sing something? Um, You know... Now you mention I, it. I would say you don't you you don't really need to. That's why, that's the way I see it. I don't imagine Karaoke. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I don't think I'm ever going to put it in a book. I'm not. I'm not going to inflict like a page of of, of um, lyrics on 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 the, on the reading audience <laughs> where the joke will be totally lost on them. Yeah. However, I, I've suddenly just had this sort of like karaoke with Peter Grant, <laughs> like Cobner, to sing in various voices. <laughs> I reckon we can. That'll be the one. That's, yeah, that's the new layers of the challenge. Yeah, we can, we can do, we'll, we'll do that. I think. I think I'm definitely going to give some thought to, to screaming underwater. And things like that. Well, no, because we give them, we give them like appropriate songs. We find an appropriate song. You're going to decide them. which every character's go-to karaoke song yeah, is. Yeah, so you know, like you know, and, and I think I will have something surprising. Um, Peter will Peter, that's probably something by Stormzy. <laughs> <laughs> what would Beverly's be? I don't know. I, I think Rainy Night in Georgia. Okay. Oh, cute. Because she's she's got that streak of kind of. Trains in the distance, yeah. kind of, <laughs> kind of like. Oh. There's, there's something... I just got a little, little, little burst of vestigia. Yeah. That. <laughs> well, that's why it's a good song for vestigia. Right? Mm. <laughs> Last few questions. Constance Hall asks Cobner, "How do you prepare for each book?" Um, I read them and then I mark up the first parts, and then once I'm in, I'm rolling. Um, the primary thing for me is recognizing where there are going to be sections that need to, the pace picked up and where obviously I have to make some accent choices and some character choices and which bits of my voice I can use to sound like what. And sometimes it's as subtle as just thinking, just thinking how a character sounds like Reynolds, the American FBI agent. I just have to think about her to make her sounds. Mm. Other characters, I have to be more technical and go, right. I know I'm going to be pharyngeal, I'll add some breath, this is the accent and so on. Um, so yeah, some of those decisions I make in the run up to it so that when I'm in the booth, I don't have to think about anything. <laughs> and, and I've probably said it before, but I read in the dark. <laughs> I read in the total dark with just my iPad on um, uh, night mode so that I can only see the letters. I can just focus on those. I don't get all the visual noise of like lights and the different shades of the room and a telephone or something. Yeah. Mm. That's really interesting. So has anything ever kind of pulled you out of it? And you've Everything. I've got terrible attention span. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, is this beige or is it like a regular cloth? Oh, no, wait, hold on. <laughs> I'm much like Peter in that regard. Which is ironic, story. really, because that's how the things get written. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, shiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah architecture, yeah. <laughs> so you need complete sensory deprivation. Basically, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to try actual full sensory deprivation. I I read a book where they rolled someone up in a carpet as a punishment and left him there for some days and blocked his ears and everything. And it was I thought oh, I'd like to try that. <laughs> I wonder there must be at least one institution in London that has a sensory depth tank. Yeah, yeah, we should, yeah, we should yeah. Just look into that. If not, we could be very wealthy men. Yeah. <laughs> Constance has also asked Ben, have you ever been surprised by how Cobner's made a character sound? Yeah, well, actually, pretty much every time, every time a new character comes. It's it's always a surprise because in it's it's like imagining someone's face and then drawing them, you you kind of like have an idea in your head what they sound like. I mean, Nightingale. The very first time I heard him do Nightingale, it it, it was like oh my god, it's it's so much more relaxed <laughs> now. Nightingale, the way Cobner does Nightingale is the sound I actually hear in my head while I'm writing Nightingale. And you know, so a lot of the, a lot of the times, um, usually for minor characters who who I wasn't really thinking about, and then they just pop off the text because Cobner has given them a distinctive accent or something uh, and uh, it's always a joy when a performer uh, when you get a good performer and they add that extra level mm. 
Stevie Gamble has asked Cobner. I saw Cobner playing Laertes at the Barbican. Has Peter's strong views on brutalist architecture influenced your view of the Barbican? <laughs> um, yeah, it rather has. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Barbican, the Royal National Theatre of Great Britain are two very ringing examples of that <laughs> brutal brutalism. <laughs> do you just walk through them with kind of Peter's comments twittering in your head? Yeah, yeah. I do see them differently. I was like, oh, yeah, they are rather brusque, aren't they? These sort of short-tempered buildings that, you know... Ooh, I like yeah. that phrase, yeah, short-tempered buildings. <laughs> <laughs> you just look at them. They, they don't invite you to look for long. They're not very helpful. They're just, it's like we're here... Yeah, I enjoy them, but they are brutal. Are they good spaces? They are, yeah. yeah. I mean, to work at the, 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 the theatre. Well, the actual auditoria. Yeah. Well, there, there are three spaces in the, in the National. The Littleton and the Olivia are the biggest spaces, and they're tricky in different ways as a, as a, as a performer. But the Barbican, it's not tricky, it's just colossal. It's absolutely huge. So when we were doing Hamlet, the set was vast. We we felt so swamped in it. And that was a deliberate choice by Ez Devlin, the designer, and Lindsay Turner, the director, because they wanted the imposition, they wanted the feel of how how much bigger life was than we, the figures, the characters in the play were. Uh, question from Matt Dudhill. What plot twist has surprised you most? Oh, well, I can't say just in case someone hasn't read the books, but... Leslie. Yeah. I mean, I audibly screamed when I was reading it. I was I can't remember where, even where I was, but I literally went, No <laughs> I love that twist. Did you have fun writing that? <laughs> I had even more fun. On the day it came out I sat by Twitter going any minute now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do people read it in a day? Some people read it in like four hours. Yeah. Oh, really? They read it in four hours. And I knew. I just sat there. I know someone is reading. It. They've gone like because I used to do that with Terry Pratchett books. I used to not actually manage to get from the bookshop all the way home. I used to stop in a cafe and I read about a quarter of the book in the cafe, <sighs> drinking a cup of coffee because I couldn't wait to get home to read it. So wow. And I know people do that. They're, they're what people... Jedi's? Hilarious thing is, we'll see reviews for the audio book that go up in less hours than the audiobook is long. Yeah. So people must listen to it, speed it up. I do listen to audiobooks on, on multiple speeds myself. So Really? I've yeah. never understood the appeal of that. It depends on the book and the reader. Non-fiction books, I'll, they'll, they'll catch a double speed in a heartbeat. My wife comes in the room, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I am learning. <laughs> but... um. But I think with some some um, performances, I just need them to just get on just that little bit snappier. So I, well, I forgive you. I, I, well, I, the other thing is, is that when you first did it, right, yeah. it was quite a shock because in my mind, Peter spoke really fast. Right. Yeah. Because he's like he's like a proper cockney, like, like, like motor mouth cockney. Yeah. And and. And then I realized, I was like, ah, it's all slow. And then I realized, of course, you have to read it that slow. Yeah. No one will understand what's going on in the book. That's it. And 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 I. So now that I've kind of got used to the idea, I kind of understand it. It's a performance thing. But it was like it was, it was quite a shock when I first heard it. And I was like, yeah, ah. yeah. And then I went, oh no, no, it has to be that slow. Okay, shall we finish with? This question from Harry L. Francis. Hi, Harry. Which is for both of you. Which is your favourite character to write or to read? Mm. Nightingale. Nightingale's just so easy. He just he just feels so right. Um, I used to quite enjoy Stephanopoulos. She's been since she's you know become a family person. 
you know we see a bit less of her but yeah Night Nightingale is the one that's the most solid through line for me you know I do like your Stephanopoulos voice yeah I do like, this is a pitter yeah <laughs> <laughs> that long suffering <laughs> yeah like we, I yeah. know you're very stupid but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah um, I, well I like obviously I like Peter because you know it's all written in his voice basically <laughs> but um I I have my darlings. I have my darlings, and always it's like a darling from the last book. Mm. So so, and 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 it's usually the one that's who then ends up banging on the wall of the garden shed, debounding in their own series. So I'd I'd have to say it's Everest and Victor. It's like like just 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 they just they they're such a good double. I like a good double act. But um, you know, I thought actually I was beginning to warm warm to the main. Pro- antagonist i can't say who that is in in spoilers value without doing spoilers but i was i was beginning to warm to him quite a lot yeah uh, be, uh, because he was like he the, he just did this monologue that i wasn't expecting right in the middle of the book he just went burst into a monologue and i was like what's this and he, he wouldn't shut up I, mean, Love you know, it. I had to have some characters come in and interrupt him so he would shut up <laughs> it's basically a revenant <laughs> and punch was always is always a laugh to write yeah so. and and i like the i like the various dead gods because they they speak in like modern vernacular but mm. they, they think like they think like they think like iron age gods but they talk in a modern vernacular because yeah. peter's translating them in his head brilliant well thank you so much ben and cobner for speaking you. to us today Thanks and we to hope you. you all enjoy this little interview and the false value audiobook